All right, Josh Smith here, live in my studio, Flat 5, and today's guest is uh, one of my favorite players. Um, I first saw him play with Charlie Musselwhite a long time ago at some blues fest somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, he had 335 and a matchless. He was loud as hell. Uh, just There it is. He's playing his ass yeah. off. Um, uh, he played with Jimmy Witherspoon. He played with Lowell Folsom. I think I saw him with Curtis Salgado once. Um, he lives in Vegas now, but he's just one of my favorite guitar players and someone you all need to know. So please welcome John Wiedemeyer. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you so much, man. I didn't know that you saw me with Charlie. Oh, yeah, first. way back. Yeah. Oh, man, we did that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. I can tell you what it is, man, to be here. Thanks for inviting me, man. I'm, I'm flattered beyond belief. Thanks, dude. Well, so... I've been asking everybody, you know, their story and kind of how it gets started for them. So I know your mom was really instrumental in supporting you to be a musician, but I know she, I don't think she was a musician, right? So how did the guitar actually first end up in your hands? Well, my, neither of my parents were musicians, um, my, they, but they loved music. So between my dad, who was like really into big band and swing, kind of stuff. And then my mom, who was into like the Beatles and early Elvis and, you know, little Richard and, and, you know, she liked rock and roll stuff. Like I heard a lot of music growing up around the house. Um, there, neither of my parents were musicians. My grandfather was a trumpeter in the big band era and he was actually a professional trumpet player. And then one day he woke up and had lost all the muscle control in his lips and had to become a mailman. So uh, he's the only musician that I'm aware of in my family. But um, to answer your question about the guitar, I was kind of starting to get into to music, and I, I had some 45s, and I was listening to you know like Elton John and and you know and, and some rock stuff. And I remember very vividly uh, the song "Fame" by David Bowie. Wow. And and I didn't know what that was, and I asked my mom. I said, "Is that a saxophone?" And she said, "No, I think it's an electric guitar." And I went, "Ooh, that's cool." And and then I started hearing, uh, you know, records in, in, at my friend's houses. A buddy of mine had an older brother. I used to go to his house, and I would hear Zeppelin records coming out of his room. And every time I would hear a riff, like The Ocean or Black Dog or something, I'd go like, holy shit, what is that? And then, so the, the, the turning point for me was uh, I went to this midnight movie. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, or maybe I don't know if this was happening when you were a kid, but they used to play these rock movies at theaters at like midnight and they would play at a concert volume and people would smoke weed and, and applaud for songs. It was like going to a concert. So I went and saw the song remains the same, which was the Led Zeppelin movie. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all those riffs I was hearing at my friend's house came pouring out from the same band. And I saw Jimmy Page in this dragon suit with his Les Paul, like down yeah, here. Yeah. And I went, Holy shit. And so like, I walked out of there just absolutely in love with the guitar. But it was actually my mom who, who went and signed me up for lessons. And um, I don't know that I would have even pursued it. But she came home one day and said, hey, uh, I was out shopping today and I signed you up for guitar lessons. And so I went in the next week. And, you know, that, that, so I have my mom to thank for actually pushing me because I don't know if I would have taken the initiative. You know what I mean? That's awesome, man. And it's amazing how the visual is so important, especially pre-YouTube and all that for, for anybody younger than this generation. The first time you yeah. see these people you've been listening to, it's just like earth-shattering. Like, they're the coolest thing you've ever seen. It really is, man. And I was in sixth grade. I was like 11 or something like that. 
to see, you know, not only the, the music and the sounds, because I didn't realize it was all the same band that I kept hearing at my, my buddy's house. Right. And then you see Paige, who's like the coolest looking dude in the world and, and, and playing all that guitar. I mean, it was like, it was pretty mind blowing. You're right. The visual thing, like hit me as hard as, as the, uh, the music, you know, Absolutely. and I just went coolest guy in the world. And, and I just, I wanted to play guitar. And, uh, so that was kind of my, like Zeppelin was, I, I, I was aware of some music leading up to that, you know, uh, but Zeppelin was like the gateway for me. That was the thing that, that made me go, man, I got to do that. Okay. So your mom signed you up for the lessons. How long did yes. you last at that place? Was it, was it a good place or was it like just a stepping stone? No, it was a great place. And I only had one teacher and it was that guy. And uh, I got really lucky because my mom literally, she was out shopping and she just walked into a music store, signed me up. And, you know, at the time, it's, it's not really like that cool when your mom signs you up for guitar lessons. It's not, <laughs> not exactly rock and roll, you know. So I was kind of like, all right, I'll go check it out or whatever. And I went in and I sat down with this guy and he was like Obi-Wan Kenobi for me. It was just immediate this, you know what I mean? We just, we locked and, and he asked me some questions. He gave me a couple things to play. I went home. I came back a week later. I played him and he, he said, wow, you nailed it. That was perfect. And then the little... 40 watt bulb went on over my head yeah and i finally and i finally found something i could do that was the only teacher i had and i stayed with him um about eight years or something and that's the wow. only formal training i had was him and he gave me a really good like foundation and he taught me how to read he taught me some theory but the most important thing he did was he opened my head up to music you know and uh the i remember he asked me at my first lesson he said who's your favorite guitar player I said, Jimmy Page. And he said, oh, man, Jimmy Page is great. And he said, Jimmy Page learned from listening to this guy. And he handed me a copy of Live at the Regal, B.B. King. Wow. Now, if I had seen Live at the Regal in a record store as a kid, I probably wouldn't have been interested. He's kind of an older dude in a suit with yeah. a jazz guitar on the front. You know, nothing that would have grabbed my eye. But when my guitar teacher told me that my favorite guitar player dug him, I couldn't wait to, to hear that, you know. And, I, and that just absolutely blew my mind and, and so he had me at a very early age listening to blues and and, and a variety of music that you, you can't I can't even tell you how crazy the variety was that he had me getting into when I was still in like junior high and, and you know he had me listening to everything from from blues to the Mobishan Orchestra to Chet Atkins you know I mean just you name it and uh, and how old a guy was so, this was he way older than you or what was his age he was, uh, well, when I went to him, I was 11 and he was probably, you know, mid to late twenties or something. Okay. So he was so, a young guy. He was pretty hip. I mean, cause that he's, he's hipping you to cool hip. stuff. Yeah. He was, yeah. He was very hip. Um, and, and unfortunately he just passed away a few months ago, but, um, oh. we kept in touch, you know, like through the years and, and, um, he, but the cool thing about him, his name was Rick. Uh, the cool thing about Rick was that he stopped at Roy Buchanan. That was like the most modern player that he was into. And he didn't know any of any of the, the stuff, the, the current stuff. So I would bring him stuff. You know what I mean? Like he would, you know, Roy was his guy. Like he loved Roy. And beyond Roy, he was kind of, you know, he dug Joe Walsh and Jimmy Page and guys, Jeff Beck, stuff like that. But I would bring in records and I'd go, hey, man, you know, you know, check out, uh, uh, you know, Steve Morse. And I'd bring him in some Dixie Dregs or some Van Halen or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I was turning him on to records later you know it was really cool and he would and every week he had an album for me you know i was like 
Albert Collins ice picking. Uh, yeah. You know, like it, every week he would he would hit me to some some music. You know, Wes Montgomery was you know like huge. He turned me on to Wes and and uh, and Roy Buchanan and, and but it was really the the coolest thing besides the 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 tools that he gave me on the guitar was the fact that he just opened my head up to music and not just like rock guitar. You know, I'm pretty sure if I hadn't hooked up with him, I probably would have just been, you know, playing nothing but rock if I was playing at all, you know. Well, it's amazing how, you know, everybody, that, that first, the teacher or your brother or whatever it is that shows you something and is enthusiastic about it and, and instills yeah. like just this, this love, you know, it's, it, it's such a difference between going to some classical guitar teacher who tries to show you how to put their foot on the stand and where to hold the guitar yeah. and, you know, play this scale at this tempo, blah, blah, blah. It's like yeah. so that can work. And it's, it's a certainly useful tool, but it, if the joy is instilled, that's what sets right. you up for life to do this forever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Because otherwise, it's, it's like math or something. It's like homework, you know. But mm -hmm. man, I mean, he would, he would make me really excited about the next lesson. I just couldn't wait for Wednesdays, you know. And, yeah. and uh, you know, so we had lessons where the guitar didn't even come out of the case, man. He would just sit there and talk to me about, yeah. you know, just concepts and like, you know, or he, you know, he would sit there and I'd be playing and he would say, hey, man, make, you know, make it rain, man. Let me hear rain. You know, and I'd look at him and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And then, and he would, by the end of the lesson, he had me doing it. And I went, holy shit, I get it. I mean, he really, kind of a, kind of a bohemian, like kind of hipster sort of dude. Mm. Uh, and, but man, I mean, he, he opened my head up in so many ways. And, and like you said, he, he really made me want to do it. I mean, I just, all, all I, all I lived for was those lessons, man, with him and getting a new record to listen to. And, and, and he did another cool thing that I just remembered that he would make these cassettes like a, like a mixtape of different styles. So like, you know, like a whole tape of like Delta blues, you know, and just one, you know, one or two cuts from like his favorite guys, you know? Yeah. And, and then volume two was like electric blues, you know, there'd be like Albert, Freddie, T-Bone, you know, Eddie Taylor, stuff like that. And, and I learned so much about music just from like tapes he would make me and, and albums he would give to me. And uh, it just made me, you know, I just fell in love with all of it, you know, not just guitar, not just getting my work done, but I just couldn't wait to go hang with them. You know, it was, yeah. it was just so much fun. Yeah, that's, man, that's awesome. So, okay, so you're with him from middle school through high school, it sounds like. Uh, was there any yeah. music in your high school? Were you, was there any sort of uh, music in school? Well, yeah, they had a music program, but I didn't really take part in it. Um, I played in high school, uh, I briefly played bass in, in their jazz ensemble when uh, there was a friend of mine was playing guitar and their bass player left or got let go or something and, and they needed a bass player i didn't know how to play bass but I, I said yeah i'll do it and we were doing like children of sanchez you know like chuck mangione and did, you know that yeah. kind of stuff um and uh so i played a little bit of bass but i was never a part of the, the music uh program at school i was just all about the guitar lessons but i did um i had a a fusion trio in high school and this is interesting there's a there's a great drummer named eric kretz who plays drums with stone temple pilots and he and i had a fusion trio in high school he went to a school i'm, I'm i grew up in san jose california he went to a school across town i met a bass player who i was in school with and he said you got to meet this drummer and we ended up in in a little shack like rehearsing like return to forever and mob Vishnu orchestra and brand x and all this like prog and fusion stuff 
And we used to play uh, at parties, like cake parties, doing like fusion and prog. You know, chicks wow. were running exits. <laughs> <laughs> so was the, were but those was, your first gigs? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and they were they were you know they were cake parties, man. But uh, our buddies would throw them, and they would they would hire us, or they didn't even hire us. We just went over to play. Uh, but we could play like enough Rush and Zeppelin to, to get them into it. And then we would say, hey, here's something from uh, Romantic Warrior by Return of Forever. You know? Here's some Dixie <laughs> Dregs. Yeah. And uh, so that was sort of, uh, aside from taking guitar lessons, that was the thing, I think, was playing fusion with my buddies um, every once in a while, like at, at parties and stuff. But no, um, I never went to music school. I never participated in, in high school in the music thing other than playing a little bit of bass in that jazz ensemble mm. and uh, san jose there's a lot of guitar players from there you know you you have a lot yeah. of guys around your age in that generation what do you think was going on around there at that time man i'll tell you what it was it it, it was a hell of a place to grow up i mean there were there, there are um there were so many great players and still are. But at that time, man, for me in high school, there were two guys in, in San Jose who uh, really in, who inspired me. And I would go to see play every chance I get. Um, and you know, both of them, Lyle Workman. Uh, I was playing at a party with uh, Eric and in that fusion trio. And we, uh, we opened for another trio and it turned out it was Lyle Workman. I didn't know who he was, um, and I, I'll never forget, he had just got this Jim Kelly amp, oh, and yeah. he, had, he had a Jim Kelly combo with, like, an Altair power attenuator on top of it, <laughs> and he had a Red 35, and absolutely tore my head off that night. I mean, they were doing lead boots, they were playing, you know, Stratus, they were doing all this stuff, and I was, like, 15 or something, man. I was just absolutely blown away by that guy, and... Uh, and we became friends. We're still friends to this day. And just yeah. one of my very, and you know, I know you guys know each other. Lyle's I'm interviewing just, him next week. <laughs> oh, great. Well, you right. can ask him about that. Yeah. I, we, oh, I will. I will. <laughs> I, I was 15 and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, it's like a movie in my head, man. I remember seeing him play just a little bit around town. And then later he joined uh, Bourgeois Tag and right. some pro bands. And I used to go see him any, anytime, any chance I got. You'll see him. Now, the other guy was Chris Kane. Mm -hmm. Now, Chris, uh, of course, everybody knows who Chris is now. But at the time, man, when I was like 15, he was playing around town uh, with his band. But the interesting thing is back then, uh, they didn't play any blues. It was a fusion band. Yeah. And, and you know, he's a, a, an incredible jazz player and just an incredible musician in general. But... The band wasn't doing any blues, man. It was all like Yellow Jackets and uh, David Sanborn and Jeff Lorber Fusion and stuff like that. And uh, I used to sneak into bars when I was 15 and watch Chris play. And uh, it, it, was, it was like seeing, you know, the, the Yellow Jackets with Robin Ford to me. You know, yeah. they were playing those songs. And Chris, Chris was just absolutely, it was, it was ridiculous. And um and then I, re I remember one night uh, at this bar and he, he played his first original tune that he had played with his band and it was a blues tune. It was the first time he played a blues song with his band that I saw. And it was a song called Wake Up and Smell the Coffee. And he says, yeah, this is a new song that I wrote. It was a shuffle. And all of a sudden from there, it was just like this, man. He became like the blues guy, you know? 
Right. But the interesting thing is, in the early days, it was he had a fusion band, and he was 335. So this guitar I got because of Lyle Workman, Chris Kane, Robin Ford, Larry Carlton, the guys I was listening to, but yep. also the guys I was around town because I went, man, that's that's the shit. That's I want my guitar to sound like that, you know. Well, you know, so, I think that's, they, that's those are just two guys, by the way. There were a, a bunch of great players, but those were the two that really turned my head around. But that's an that's an overlooked aspect of everybody's upbringing. Now you were fortunate that two of the guys that you were seeing in your town were world class and would go on to be well known players. But yeah. the local guys that we grow up around and see play are a huge influence on on you when you're a teenager and when you're kind of coming into <laughs> finding this voice. I, there's scores of guys who no you know nobody would know that I grew up seeing that had a huge influence on my you know growth yeah. as. So yeah, you were very fortunate to have those guys. Oh, believe me, I, 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 and I'm still friends with them to this day. And to watch both of those guys, you know, get to where they are now, I mean, it's it's amazing to me that it's taken this long for for people to find out about Chris. You know, thank, yeah. thankfully YouTube and stuff like that. But in my opinion, you know, like like one of the top, you know, if not the top West Coast blues guy, you know, and. and uh, and, and then Lyle, I mean, geez, Lyle just took a left and, and I mean, Lyle was a, a burning player, but now he's known as a composer mm -hmm. and, and a film. Composer. But I know, I, I mean, I, that guy can just tear your face off with a guitar, man. And, uh, and he's very, modern. I don't really play much anymore. I think mean, he'll send me something. Hey man, <laughs> listen to the thing. And I'm going like, Oh, are you kidding me? I feel like I'm 15 getting my, my mind blown. Hey, I'm curious. You, you didn't grow up in Southern California, right? No, no. I grew up in South Florida. So, you know, oh, I was, oh, it was a different scene down there. I was seeing a lot of guys who went at that time. UM was super hot for jazz. So there were, everybody was coming down to UM in Miami and graduating. And then those were the people I were seeing, you know, 20 year olds who had just finished college, 25, 30. And they were all, you know, wanting to be Pat Metheny, Steve Morse, you know, Jocko. Yeah. That was the, that was like the scene that was, you know, 10 years older than my scene kind of. Yeah. 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 And uh, one more question for you. Did, did you take lessons ever? I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I took lessons from 6 till probably 14, 6 till 14. Oh. And I started gigging when I was 12, so I didn't have quite as much time for lessons. But I kept going yeah. when I could, maybe once a month, mostly because, like you said, I, I had made a relationship with this guy. And it was yeah. we, would, we would just sit there and listen to music, and I would ask him questions. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. and, and then it would get to be – more we were friends as opposed to he was my teacher, you know, and it was just such a great environment. I was lucky. So my first teacher was a jazzer. My second teacher was a blues guy who, you know, was just shown turning me on to everything. And then my third teacher was a rock guy, but he was incredibly like musically schooled. So he was giving me fundamentals, you know, and it was it was a good mix. <laughs> Great. That, yeah, that's that's it, man. I mean, you, you were lucky, too, then, in that case, to have that kind of relationship with your teacher. Because, as you know, I mean, I, you know, I do some, I've done some teaching over the years, and, and, you know, you can get, like, a great teacher and a good player in the same room, and it might not click. But to yeah. connect with somebody like that, to where you're just sitting there, and the guitar is in the case, and you're listening to music, you know, that's it's nothing like I, – I remember once – I remember taking uh, – Taking it, you remember that song "The Bash" by the Dixie Dregs? That, that yes. really insane, like chicken picking thing. And yeah. I took that into him, and you got to hear this guy. And I played, I played uh, the Bash Steve Morse for him. And I remember he said, 
man, he goes, that really sounds like a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> That's you right. But, but, you know, we had that kind of relationship. I would just go, hey, Rick, you got to hear this. You got to hear this Eddie Van Halen solo or something. And, and he would just, you know, it was really cool to see him get excited still about stuff. You know, I thought yeah. oh, he's not going to like it. Yeah, what's his, but he was digging it too, you know, and, and so we were, we were lucky to have that. You know, I feel like if, if I hadn't established that bond with him uh, and, and didn't have that encouragement from him, I don't know that I would have uh, stayed with it. Cause again, my mom kind of pushed me into it in the beginning. Yeah. So that, it took that to make me go, Oh yeah, this is what I want to do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So then you're playing with your fusion trio, your friends, you're playing at keg parties. Yeah. When did the first like, uh, gigs you know sideman gig whatever wedding bands top 40 when yeah. did when do the when do those things happen with your friends like the like real paying gigs what's the first move the first uh professional uh gig that i did there was a harmonica player singer great guy in san jose named andy just and andy andy actually was in a band with chris kane they used to play together they had a band called the walter fields band which was named after chris's father Mm -hmm. And uh, Andy had a band around town. They were kind of a big, like, new wave rock band. But he's a, an amazing blues harp player and singer. And we met, uh, I was just out of high school, and we had a mutual friend. And we met, and uh, long story short, he, he wanted to put a band together to do more of like a Yardbirds kind of, like, blues rock kind of thing. And uh, I, was, I was about 18, I think. And uh, that was my first professional gig. And Andy was already established in the area. So, you know, next thing you know, man, I'm like at the Keystone Palo Alto opening for the Paladins and, and John Lee Hooker and stuff like that with Andy. And I'm, you know, I'm still a teenager. So I, I think you were a lot younger than I was when you were out gigging and stuff. I, I didn't really hit it until my, my late teens, you know, but uh, Andy just, uh, it was a band called Andy just in the shapes and uh, definitely a blues rock thing, not a traditional blues thing, but uh mm. Andy, Andy had gigs and we gigged all over the Bay Area and that was where, you know, I started meeting, you know, players around all around the Bay Area, not just because I'm from the South Bay, but, you know, we were up in San Francisco, we were in Marin, we were down in Monterey, you know, we would go to LA occasionally. Um, so that was my first professional gig was playing with Andy. And that actually led to my first touring experience, which was with Patrick Ford, uh, the drummer. Yeah. Charles Ford band and, and, you know, Robin's brother. And he played mm -hmm. on that Witherspoon album that Robin's on. And, and yep. uh, he had a band called the, the Ford blues band. And I ended up because Andy played in that band and uh, Garth Weber was the guitar player. And then when Garth left, they yeah. invited me to come in. So uh, the Andy thing kind of led to, to hooking up with Pat, which led to some touring. Um, but it, it all kind of commenced, I think around 18 or so for me. And, and what did your parents think when it started to become, you know, uh, paying, you're making some money, you're, but you know, you're not, you're not going to college. You're just out there working. What, what was the, what was their attitude? Well, my mom was absolutely 100% on board supportive. She loved the music I was playing. Uh, she, you know, she loved, my dad was a little skeptical because my, my dad was an old, uh, he, he was, he was an army sergeant in Korea. You know, he was pretty old school, pretty hardcore. Didn't have a problem letting you know what he thought about stuff. And his father, like I said earlier, was uh, a trumpet player who had to give up music and become a mailman because he woke up one day and couldn't play, couldn't support himself. So my dad was a little skeptical at first. Um, but then when I started gigging and he saw that I could actually make money doing it, then he, he kind of signed on, you know. So I didn't get a lot of resistance. 
But in the beginning, my dad, he was, you know, he, well, that's great, son, but, you know, you might want to think about going to school or whatever. And then, and then when I started getting a lot around town, and I had, you know, I got out of high school, I had like a gig, or I was working at a record store, a couple of record stores, and, you know, I was working retail and stuff, and then I started gigging with Andy, and as soon as that band got so busy that I didn't need to go to work, then uh, I, I stopped uh, working when I was 19. And I, I, I've been really lucky to just do this ever since I was 19 for a living. Yeah. Huh. Um, but it, it, it took, uh, my dad took a little convincing. My mom was, was totally on board with it. Right. Well, that's cool. I mean, my, my grandparents were completely adamant, you know, that no, 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 no. He's going to college. And my parents were yeah. cool, but my grandparents, no way. But I, I yeah. somehow convinced him, you know, somehow, or whether I did okay, or not, did. it wasn't changing anyway. So, you know, yeah. Are your folks still around? Oh, yeah. My folks are still around. They were incredibly supportive. I mean, you know, I was playing in bars when I was 12 and 13. So one of them had to be with me at all times. And I mean, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today without them driving me around and being there, you know, and being 100 percent supportive. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, you're, man. You're, you're, lucky. you're lucky to there. still have them, man. Oh yeah, very very lucky man, very lucky. Um, I, remember, I, I think I remember you came through San Jose and played at JJ's oh, yes. or something. When did, I absolutely, right? absolutely played yeah. JJ's as a teen. Uh, so my dad would have been with me for sure. I think the first time we played JJ's, I was sixteen or seventeen. It was like you know a summer break in 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 high school. Yeah, yeah. yeah I uh, club that little JJ's club. That was kind of where I cut my teeth too. That was where I was gigging with Andy and, and when I first started playing gigs it was there and uh, I, I remember you coming through there I didn't see it but I remember the name and I, yep. I, remember, I think we talked about it later and you told me that you yep. were like kid when you did that gig oh yeah I remember JJ's forever played there a couple times it had that army surplus store next to it and I remember That's always right. going in there to buy like some some pins I would buy like like bomber bomber nose art pins like you know and stuff to put on my strap I like that little store yeah next yeah, and there was a guitar center across, across the, street the street later. That's right, guitar center I, across the street. I saw Robert Collins play JJ's once, and he he had a hundred foot guitar cable, mm. as you know, and he walked out into that street in the middle of Stevens Creek Boulevard, taking a solo. And I've never seen anything like it, man. I mean, it was just the entire club went outside, and he was standing in the street just pointing his guitar at cars yeah. as they would go by. It was unbelievable i saw so many incredible shows there man uh that that really was for me that place i mean not only to play there but i would go there during the week and hear guys like chris there was a great guy named john garcia who was uh, a south bay guy that, that monster player he used to play with hooker i used to go see him all the time uh rl burnside used to do a a, a regular tuesday thing, thing there back before that ass pocket of whiskey album where he kind of yeah, the, yeah the fat possum stuff when he got his yeah, his, his yeah he would play there and there'd be me and like two or three other people checking it out, you know, but that was, that was kind of part of my musical education too, was hanging out at, at JJ's and, and watching other cats play and, and, and just checking out the, the different styles. And, and uh, so that, yeah, uh, that, that place was, uh, was really important. It played an important role for me as well. Well, so you started to get like, you know, really in deep to the blues scene and you're having guys call you and you're playing blues with different artists and touring and you know this is uh, interesting to me um because you're you're a very versatile musician who's listened to a lot of music but yet you love the blues and you treat it with a lot of reverence you know but also you don't treat it like a museum 
you still just play music, you know, and this is something yeah. I've struggled with my whole life. This fight against, you know, the, the blues purists and the blood, what's blues and what's this and that, how have you managed to, you know, balance your love for all music and the knowledge that you have against, you know, the, your, the love for keeping blues traditional and, and some of those gigs you were on were pretty traditional gigs. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, uh, in the case of a couple of them, uh, there were, there were some, uh, traditional blues purists who were not happy that I got the gig. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, I remember very vividly when, when the muscle white gig became available and, um, I, uh, there were a lot of cats around town. I didn't even know it was available. I, I was, the, the way that I hooked up with Charlie Musselwhite was, um, through Pat Ford mm -hmm. and we, we played at a, a festival up in Northern California and, uh, Henrietta, Charlie's wife just happened to be at the festival and we met and she was very nice and we hung out and talked and she said, uh, you know, she, she, she mentioned that, uh, you know, Charlie was looking for a guitar player, you know? And so I got a call based on the fact that Henry just happened to see me play yeah. with the Ford blues. Band. And, uh, and, and so I was in the running. I, I didn't know about it. I didn't, I wouldn't have probably gone for it. Cause I, I just assumed that I'm too much of a rock guy for that gig. I probably wouldn't be into it. But at the time, Charlie, uh, he had this, the Chicago guys who he'd been with, um, you know, for, for a long time, like Felton and, um, yeah. Uh, Junior Boy Jones on guitar. And it was, it was like a straight ahead kind of Chicago thing. And he, at the time that I met Henrietta, he was looking to fill his band with some players who could do some other stuff because he was kind of getting bored of just playing like a Chicago shuffles all night and a slow blues and an occasional cha-cha. You know, he wanted to do some other stuff. Right. He was kind of getting into jazz. He was getting into the Cuban thing. He was really getting into like world music. He was hanging out with Eliadis Ochoa and all these cats. And, and so he wanted to put a band together that could play anything he wanted. I didn't know that at the time. All I knew was uh, I, I, he hired me to play a gig with him in uh, Santa Cruz. And I played the gig. My guitar teacher came to the gig because he lived in Santa Cruz. And, uh, and I got the gig. And then I found out later that there were some, some pretty heavy, like traditional blues guitar players that were trying hard to get that gig. And they were not happy that, that I got it because I, you know, and you, you, I'm sure you've been through this, but you know, like blues guys think I'm a rock guy because I play a lot of notes. Yeah. Rock guys, even here in Vegas, you know, think I'm a blues guy, even though I, oh, I yes. you know, like, you know, you know how it is. And, and, and we just play, you know, uh, to answer your question, I just play, man. I don't think about labels and stuff. I'll, yeah. you know, I love blues and, and I listen to it and I, I study it and, and I'm a fan, but I, I, I love all sorts of music equally. And um, I've never, you know, just spent all my time playing one thing. So, um, it, it, but it definitely uh, doing gigs with people like like Jimmy Witherspoon and and uh, and, and Muscle White and, and uh, Lowell Folsom and guys like that. You know, you catch a lot of flack, man. From I used to call it uh, the bowling shirt community. You know, like the oh the, the guys bowling shirts. Them. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. and nothing against them because they're all great players and stuff. But boy, they. You know, I was a rock guy to them, and they just couldn't figure out why Charlie asked me to do it. And I was well, just like, man, I got lucky. I met Henry, and, and Charlie called me, and here I am. I mean, I was just happy to do it. And Charlie was very open-minded at the time uh, about what he wanted. And, and, of course, the history of guitar players in Charlie's band, you know. I mean, I was just yeah, I was just honored to be able to step into that, you know. Yeah. So um, so anyway, yeah, it, it was – it's it's – it's sort of worked against me in some cases uh, because uh, you know, there are blues, 
I have this trio, and, and we just we just go balls out, and we'll play some blues, and then we'll 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 go into some Zappa or some Zeppelin or whatever, and we're just like, screw it, man, let's just play music that we love. But then you know, people would come down and go, well, this isn't really blues, you know, this is yeah. it's too loud, it's too many notes and stuff, and it's like whatever. I mean, I, I just love music, man. I, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not into styles really. Uh, dude, I've been dealing with with it basically my entire life, and trying to be okay with you know it. And it's funny you mentioned Jimmy Witherspoon. You know his playing Robin's records with him were important oh. for this reason to me. Basically, I grew up you know Albert King, Otis Rush, BB. Ah. That was my shit. And then Stevie Ray, Hendrix. Yeah. You know that, that's what I'm listening to. And Robin, I didn't get right away because right. it was too smooth he wasn't bending as many strings as albert king so i didn't i didn't right. get it um but i started listening to like dizzy and charlie parker and getting into jazz and then i heard that jimmy witherspoon record and it was a big moment because it was like wait a minute this is that same guy that i just heard play in that slick version of talk to your daughter but he's playing like blues and it's obvious he really knows his history and he respects oh, it yeah. And maybe it's okay to start playing this other stuff that I'm hearing in the blues. It doesn't mean that I disrespect the blues in any way. Because up until then, it was like, I can't. You can't play that. You know, you get indoctrinated into this cult of blues. And it was like, that, that record was important because it let me know, you know what? Fuck that. It's okay to play whatever right. you're hearing, you know? That's right. And, and, and Robin caught a lot, of, a lot of that same flack, too, man, for that reason. Because he was a little more harmonically sophisticated. But I mean, you know, like you said, man, Robin is as deep into the blues as, as any musician out there. But you know, I mean, he's got other stuff going on, too. And, and, you know, Robin, for me, man, like Robin was a huge, uh, because there's, there's this whole West Coast thing, you know, Chris is one of them. And, and you know, Robin, obviously, and, and there, there's some other cats, there was a cat in San Jose named Sammy Varela, who, you know, guys who played like semi hollow guitars and, and kind of did the blues thing, but had a bit of a jazz thing to it. And, uh, and, and Robin, you know, for me, man, like, like the, the Charles Ford band, I saw the Charles Ford band in 82, I was a sophomore in high school and they played at the San Francisco blues festival. Gatemouth was on the bill. Little Charlie and the nightcats were there. Yeah. Uh, you know, the incredible bill, but I remember Robin came out, man, he had a, he had a tobacco sunburst 335. He had this little, uh, Yamaha, like G50 yeah. or G100 sitting on a chair. And he plugs straight into that thing. And I mean, that's like some of the most incredible guitar I've ever heard, man. The tone and his attack and the feel. And uh, so I, I understand that it's not traditional blues or whatever, but it spoke to me, man, because I was also, I was also listening to Wes and Pat Martino and Grant Green and cats like that. And, uh, and, and listening to a lot of jazz like yourself, you know, listening to Coltrane and Miles. And so it all made sense to me. I just went, oh, well, this guy's here, but he's also got some of this going on. And I, I just, I've never been able to just get into one thing. I, I, I almost wish I could, you know, I wish, um, I, I'm happy that I'm, that I can play different things and I love different music, but I always think, man, if I, if I could just spend 24 seven focusing on one thing, I feel like I could be really freaking good at it. You know? Yeah. But then you wouldn't be you. Well, I, I would, I would be, I would probably be bored just cause I, I you know, <laughs> one day too. I want to, you know, one day I want to listen. Listen to, to the Lonnie Johnson, and then the next day I want to I, I want to listen to Soundgarden. You know, what I mean, I'm just yeah. like I, I just so much music, and um, and I never really I never set out to be I'm going to be a versatile guitar player. I literally just go through phases 
where I'll obsess over a certain style of music, you yeah. know, and, and I get yeah. into it and I really get into it and study it. And then after a while I go, Oh man, that, you know, I'm really digging that, that, that Otis Rush record. And I want to start like checking that out, you know, and, and mm -hmm. so I'm all over the map. Um, but it, it, in the end, like when I came to Vegas, um, it ended up serving me well. I didn't plan on it. I just, all of a sudden I came to town and realized I could play a bunch of different styles. So it meant that I could get different gigs in town, which was really a, a cool thing, but not planned whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the blues world is such a fascinating world to me because we like, we self police ourselves in this way that is just infuriating, you know? And, and it, it's always nice to, you know, I tend to gravitate towards players who, are reverential about it, but also can say who gives a shit and will just play music. You know, that's important to me. And they, they, that's obviously in your playing in spades, you know? Oh yeah, man. And, and, and there are, there are guys who just do that, who are incredible that I love to listen to. But like, I, I get off on hearing somebody like yourself, you know, much more because I can hear some other shit going on too, man. I can hear Hendrix. I can hear Stevie. I can, you know, I can hear some jazz in there and, and, I like that, man, just because I'm, I'm all over the map musically. I, I, I tend to get bored after a while. Even, uh, you know, even as much as I love the blues after a while, I'm just like, you know, I want to hear like a different flavor, you know? And uh, so I gravitate. That's why I, I, I dig Robin. That's why I dug Chris. Still dig Chris. Um, you know, Lyle is a totally different player. You know, he's, mm -hmm. he's you know, come fusion and rock and, and, I get off on him just as much as I get off on you or Chris. And, and it's, mm -hmm. it's, I just, I love all of them, man. I really do. I've got musical ADD. Yep. Yep. Okay. So you moved to Vegas then. What, what year did you move to Vegas? Well, I officially moved here in 2006. Uh, okay. I started, I started coming here at the end of 2004. I was still living in San Jose. And there's a friend of mine who's a guitar player, singer in Southern California. His name is Gene Siegel. And um, he's a buddy of mine from San Jose. And we used to keep in touch and, my original plan was I wanted to move to LA, you know, and, and Lyle told me, he said, Hey man, if you come to town, you know, I could, I could recommend you for some stuff. So I thought, man, I got to get to LA because that's where it's all happening. Right. And, um, late in 2004, I got a call from my buddy Gene and he was playing in a, a, a cover band at the Mirage, uh, five nights a week. And they had just signed a contract and it was, you know, like every week, five nights a week. And he said, look, man, I'm, I'm really busy in LA. Would you be interested in splitting this gig with me? So I flew out and I met the band. I played a couple of weeks with him and long story short, he ended up just basically like offering me his gig. Um, he said, uh, he said, Hey man, I'm really busy. Well, you know, why don't you just take this gig? So all of a sudden I'm living in San Jose and I'm gigging five nights a week in Vegas. Right. So I'm driving back and forth and we're staying at the Mirage and I never planned on moving here. Nobody ever plans on moving to Vegas. They go, oh, I'll just go here for save up some money, do some gigs, you know, whatever. And uh, but I officially moved here in 2006, and I've been here ever since. But um, it was never the plan to move here. It was just uh, I was just going to do this gig for a while, save up some money, and it was a sweet gig, man. I mean, it was like you know, three hours a night, and we would be done. Uh, we'd be done at like nine 30 and we would go out and hear other bands, go eat dinner or whatever. And, and we were staying at the Mirage and we were making good dough. And all of a sudden I was like, man, I'm gigging five nights a week. And, and it was more of a classic rock kind of thing. So um, after, you know, coming from San Jose, after touring with Charlie for a long time and playing a lot of blues and stuff, all of a sudden, you know, I was back into like playing classic rock and, and other kinds of music. So it was, it was a challenge musically. 
but the thing that brought me here was a gig. And, um, and I remember very vividly that because I, the plan was, well, I'll do this for a year or two and then I'll go to LA and I'll seek my fortune, you know, in LA. And, and there was one night, uh, the, the Ronnie Foster, the keyboard player, was was doing a regular gig here in town. Drew Zing was playing guitar, by the way. Another okay, girl. yeah. You should get him on on your show, man. That guy, You're right? You're right, yeah. You right? Oh yes, yeah, huh. yeah. So anyway, so uh, Drew was playing guitar, so I used to go down there every Thursday. And one night, uh, Brandon Fields came in to sit in, yeah. and he was in town playing Barry Manilow, and so he pulled out his horn and played and was killing and. and and afterwards, I went up to him and I said, hey, man, you know, I'm a huge fan. And, and you know, and I said, what are you doing in Vegas? And he said, well, I live here now. And I went, what do you mean you live? I thought you lived in L.A. He goes, no, nah. I was, but I wasn't working there, so I'm here now. And, and I said, man, I go, that's really funny that you say that because I've been thinking about getting out of here and, and, and going to L.A. And he said, are you working here? And I said, yeah, I'm working quite a bit. And he goes, stay here. He said, there ain't shit going on in L.A. right now. And, and I'm thinking, if Brandon Fields is saying this to me, like, I better listen. I drove home that night, and I thought, you know what? Maybe I'm just going to stay my ass here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I ended up here. It's been, you know, 14 years that I've been living here officially. Yeah. And um, I love it here, man. This, and, and, and I know that Vegas kind of has a reputation as like, you know, this is where, you know, Cats who can't get a gig anymore come. Man, these days it's a whole other thing. It's, it's world class musicians living here. Oh yeah, and, everybody's uh, moving there because it's one of the last bastions of weekly gigging. Being able to play a bunch of nights every week that just doesn't exist in anywhere anymore. And especially it, it, even before the coronavirus, you know, I mean, it, like like at the time before it, the world blew up, you know, like this was the last place you could go and make a living in town playing gigs. Yeah. I read, uh, I read an article once about Vegas and about the music scene here and about musicians moving here. And they called it, they called Las Vegas a stationary tour bus. Meaning that you can make road money and sleep in your own bed every night, like go home at night, but you can make the kind of money you would normally make on the road. And so, uh, and it's really true. And even now, even with uh, things as crazy as there are, there's still gigs to be had. There are lots of different kinds of gigs here. You know, if you read, you can do, you know, you can play, you know, orchestra gigs, you can play, you know, showrooms. Uh, there's lounge gigs, you can do covers. You know, there's, there's really not much of a blues scene here. There, there are some amazing blues musicians that live here. Um, like Junior Bradley lives here. Mm -hmm. um, there's a great guitar player, Chris Tofield here in town. I mean, there's some, there's some, uh, some monster players here, but there's just not a lot of blues gigs. That's the one thing that's a, a little bit lacking here. But overall, if you can play different styles, if you can read, if you can, you know, then, and if you're, you know, halfway professional, you know, <laughs> right. you, you can, you can work here, you know? And uh, I was lucky that I play a lot of different styles. So I was able to jump into like a bunch of different stuff, but um, the, the plan was never to move to Vegas, but I, I got to say, man, I'm, I'm really proud to live here. And, and, and I would hold the scene up, to uh, to any other place man because there's there are musicians here that are just you know of the highest caliber oh yeah so, absolutely yeah yeah that's awesome man all right let's uh let's get into the 10 questions yes all right here we go <laughs> number one when you started learning playing you know and playing 
what was the first thing that when you figured it out, you got it under your fingers, it was like, I can't believe I just figured this out. And it set that hook forever. I'm assuming it had to be Zeppelin, but I don't know. Let, let, let's see what no, you would assume correctly, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. Um, and, and I can't say that I sat down and figured it out, but my teacher showed it to me. Um, there were two riffs in particular. Um, the first, can you hear this? Yes, sir. The first one was. Yeah. That one, that, I think that was the first one he showed me. And that one, like, yeah, I, I, that floored me. I was just like, I can't believe I can play that riff. But then the one that was a little more involved was. <laughs> you know, that whole thing. Learning that, uh, that whole intro thing, man, I think that was probably the first, like, full piece of music that I learned how to play, other than stuff in Mel Bay. I knew how to play Rondo and right. <laughs> stuff in Mel Bay. <laughs> Volume one, but uh, I think uh, probably uh, probably over the hills and far away uh, yeah. was probably the first kind of piece of music that I learned. Uh, Living, love, and made. I, I just learned the riff, right. and that was it. He just had to to send me home with something, but uh, he actually turned. He, he taught me over the hills and far away, and um, and then from there I kind of learned all the rest. Of them. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna, I was that's hoping. the kind of thing. Yeah, when you get that. The, the pride that happens as a kid when you nail that part and it's something you've listened to a million times. It's, it, uh, that's it. It's like, it's like you're hooked forever. There's no going it's, back. It, it, it's like putting, putting the needle in the arm, you know, it's like you're, you are absolutely hooked. And I, I know you feel the same way I do, man. I, I feel exactly like that today when I learn something new or something cool, man. I just like, I, I remember, Oh my God, this is why I do this. You know? Yep. Yep. I was literally, I was sitting in front of the TV in the house yesterday, and I don't play in the uh -huh. house anymore because I've got the studio, but I brought a guitar right. in the house yesterday because I was kind of shedding, and I was sitting there watching TV late last night, and I, I had like a little breakthrough moment of something cool I was working on, and my wife walked out, and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm practicing. She's like, what? I said, no, I'm practicing. In fact, I just brushed down a wall. It's really awesome. I feel great, you know? Yeah. 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 Leave me alone. I'm, I'm busting down a wall. That's yeah. Great. It feels that way. I love that. That feeling is what makes me work hard every day because I, I want that feeling all the time. Yeah. Oh, well, me too. And you know, what's, you know what's interesting about this whole uh, shutdown, you know, world blowing up thing? And I don't know if you've encountered this, but um, I have people that I know uh, who. I've literally not touched their instrument the entire time yeah. that this has been going on. And they're just like, man, I'm, I'm done with music. I haven't touched my guitar in six months. I know people who haven't left the house since March, Yep, haven't played and, and, and are turning down gigs. And it's a weird thing. And it, it's it, this, this whole episode that we're going through right now has been a real revealing thing to me about, uh, about my friends who are genuinely, in love with music and my friends who just want to get gigs. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know if you've encountered that over there in LA, but I, I have, a lot of that. I have to some degree, but also I'll, I'll admit it's been cyclical even for me. I mean, I've, I've spent the begin the first month I didn't want to play that much, you know, and, and for me not wanting to play that much means I might go two days without playing a guitar, but that's yeah, like yeah, yeah. monumental for me. I never skip a day ever in 35 years, you know? So, 
but yeah, it was like that at the beginning. It was just this weird malaise, you know, that you couldn't get over. Man, I, I didn't go through that. I, uh, I actually went the other way. I thought, man, I finally got some time <laughs> yeah. to do a little shit. And, you know, doing what I'm doing, I mean, what you're doing, I, I, I love what you're doing because you're doing your thing. You got your studio, you're making records, you're, you're doing, you're pursuing your thing, you're writing tunes. Yeah. I, my thing here in town is I'm playing gigs and I'm, I'm doing other people's music, which is great and rewarding. But I, you know, I also I find myself going, man, one of these days I really got to sit down and work on that. But right now I got to learn these tunes for this rehearsal tomorrow, you know. Um, right, right. When the, when the virus thing hit, all of a sudden I went, you know, I had no excuse. And I went, man, I can finally sit down and focus on some stuff that, that I've been meaning to get to. And um, I remember I saw this... Uh, uh, I saw this video of John McLaughlin, like right in the beginning of the pandemic and, and when the world got shut down and, and he was, he was sitting there with a guitar killing. And, and then he said, he said to everybody, he goes, look, he says, take advantage of this gift of time. And he said, it was an unexpected gift of time. And that was how he put it. And, uh, and that kind of resonated with me. I thought, yeah, man, I have no excuse now. I need to be hitting the shed. All this yeah. shit that I've been saying that I'm going to get to, like, I can start getting to it, you know? Yep. Um, yep. So for me, it was just like from, from day one, it was just, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the shed then. You know, if, if I can't go out and play, all my gigs are canceled. Everything's put on hold until at least the end of the year and now probably yep. next year. So, man, I'm going to try and take advantage of it, you know. But, and and I, I'm not saying my way is the right way, but I've just been fascinated by how my friends, my musician friends have reacted to this thing. Yeah. And some of them really hit it hard, and then other people are like, eh, I haven't played in six months. And, and yeah, everybody's handled it in a different way. Yeah. Like, for me, it took, yeah. like, a, it took a little, like, push, kick in the butt. So I, about a month into the thing, I, you know, it, the, that first month, like I said, I would go a couple of days without playing. And then I got through that and but got back to normal. Then I, I revisited my Barry Harris book, you know, and, and it was yeah. like, Oh, that kicked me in the butt for the next two months. And I was like shedding hard on that stuff. And it's funny, like I talked to Scott Henderson the other day and he said he's never shed it as hard as he has been during this pandemic. Like, I'm like, dude, well, that- you already know everything. What the hell? You know, but you know, he's, he, yeah, he's, he's been shedding he's really hard. The records he's put out recently, he didn't yeah. shed for because I can't, <laughs> can't imagine what it's going to sound like now. I know, I know, I know he's working on yeah. a lot of stuff. It's um, hey, let, let me let me turn that question around on you. The original question, though, like, what was your, what was the first thing you figured out lit the fire? Well, the first thing I ever learned was uh, Michelle by the Beatles. You know, da 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 da. But the first thing that, like, when I figured it out and set the hook, was BB uh, King intro to a slow blues. You know, the fir- the first time I yeah. actually could play. It was like, yep, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just do that for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. That's right. Because yeah, it was just oh, yeah. like. Oh, yeah, Live at the Regal, man. I, yeah. I yeah. Shit up. It might have been Live at the Regal. It might have been Blues is King. We had both of them. Uh, and I listened to both a lot. But I don't know. For some reason, yeah. it's my own fault on Live at the Regal. was always my, like, that was my one. Like, it's just so good. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. gosh. It's, yeah, and, and I, I still find myself about every six months. I, I don't know if you do this, but, like, sometimes I need, like, like, like a palate cleanser. You know what I mean? Like, I need to, like, I'm involved in, like, different kinds of music. 
And I go, man, I just need to reset and like start over. And that's one of the go-to albums for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, is Live at the Regal. Maybe it's because the first it was the first blues album that I heard. But and when I listen to that, you know, I start trying to maybe shed like some pointy-headed, you know, fusion stuff or something. And then all of a sudden, I listen to Live at the Regal, and I go. Nah, I don't really need to worry about that, man. This, it's just this like is taking right it's like taking a breath. It really is. It's just like oh. yeah. that's the way I feel I every time and, I hear it. Every time I hear Albert King, you know, Live Wire Blues Power, or you know, or even Pretty yeah. Woman comes on, or Personal Manager, or anything. Going, it's like yeah. uh, it's just a reset button. I, Albert King's the thing I still listen to pretty much every day of my life. At least one song. Yeah. It just just happens. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. I was just listening to uh, "If the Washing Don't Get You" when I was driving home. Ooh, yes, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh, but you know, yeah, Albert's another one too. I mean, any of the three kings for sure. But yeah. you know, there are just some players that I just go, okay, man, I'm I'm just going to start over. You know, like I need to stop worrying about playing over these changes or whatever, and I just need to like listen <laughs> to how much gravity one note can hold. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Right. And of course, yeah. I get the guitar in my hand and I overplay, so it never works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Number two, what's the yeah. first solo you ever learned note for note? Well, uh, I think we just talked about it. I, I think it was probably uh, "Sweet Little Angel," uh, and and I actually I can't remember if I learned the entire solo, uh, but I I I, re I very vividly remember that record. And, and there were a couple of things on there that I just never heard before. Like, uh, you know, that thing, like that, I'd never heard that before. Because I was listening to Angus Young and Joe Perry and Jimmy Page. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, so I think that solo, I think, might have been the first one that I sat down and tried to learn. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I would go back to my lesson and I would, you know, I would uh, play a little bit of it. And he would say, yeah, man, that's it, you know. Mm -hmm. And but even even today, I've never been somebody who learns entire solos. I usually just grab like a couple of phrases, yeah, well, and yeah. and then go from there. I don't know about you. Do you do you transcribe whole solos? No, no. But when I was a kid, I would. <laughs> I had a weird thing where I would try to find solos that had two choruses to them, and I would play the first note for note, and I would take the second chorus as myself. And it was so weird. I'd play along to the record like that. A teacher told me to do that, and it stuck. So I remember vividly, like listening to Allman Brothers' uh, "Statesboro Blues" and taking the first, and then going off on my own. Whatever, but I used to purposely like I would start the solo like the guy, and then go my own way. Yeah that now I, I, yeah. I, it's funny i never thought about it until you just said it but i actually do that now like i'll get there'll be a phrase and i'll go man i gotta figure out what that was and then i get it and all of a sudden it's like oh my god i got all this new stuff and i just the, i i stop listening to the to the original solo and i start noodling over it mm -hmm. myself yeah. i definitely i definitely pick out phrases but i think probably the, the closest that i came to learning an entire solo in the beginning for me was was probably sweet little angel live at the regal okay yeah I mean, there's, you know, like Stevie, I, I'll go the rest of my life and be able to basically recall any of those solos note for note. And it's not even because I used to just play them all, all the time. It's because they're in here. I've just listened to them so many times that they will come out, you know, all of them or, or Hendrix. 
um you know yeah i mean but the one that's you, you mentioned angus young you shook me all night long was one that i remember learning note for note like because it oh, was a great, great melodic solo you know yeah yeah and and actually uh one of the early solos that i learned uh, you remember that song the jack which was like a slow blues absolutely yeah <laughs> on the live version uh if you want blood you've got it that was an album that that was an album that like one of my favorite records early on uh, was was if you want blood you got it so one where he's got the, the sg sticking out of his chest on the yeah covers. yeah man dude when we when we hang up man like go to spotify or whatever and, and check out the solo on the jack it's it's just ridiculous man it's just so much attitude and the vibrato and its tone yeah. and and uh, that was another one that I learned too, uh, and, and a bunch of stuff. When I figured out how to start transcribing and, and picking solos off of records, man, I, I, I ate up that live ACDC record. And yeah. I guess maybe because it was so bluesy, you know, compared to like some of the well, other it was, stuff. It was, it had attitude, but it was bluesy. It was easy to figure out, you know, because yeah. it wasn't anything like crazy out there in there. It was just, it was, no. it was a, it's a perfect storm of like beginning, not beginning, but like, you know, root coming up as a guitar player is perfect things to work on. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then when you, when you factor in the fact that he's running around and shaking his head and, and while he's playing it, and I listen to it now and it's like so much control and attitude. And yeah. I'm just like, how did he do all that at once? You know? Yeah. But the vibrato, fact, um, man. This, I got to show you this real quick. This, this is my very first electric guitar. Look at this. Ah, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It looks yeah. like right yeah absolutely it's, not a Gibson, it's just like a cheap copy but yeah. i was so into Ang time that 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 i got this guitar because it looked just like his you know that's awesome <laughs> but yeah um so so definitely definitely bb and then the, those work tapes that i was telling you about you know like i would I'd check out like hideaway or or uh, uh you know killing floor or something like that and, and and i would i would cop stuff from those tapes because it was just a sampler and i would you know, I'd go, man, who's that guy? And then, and then I would go in and I say, man, I really like this guy, Hubert Sumlin. And then he bring me in all these Wolf records. And, and um, but yeah, that's a hip I, I teacher, man. On, that's a hip teacher. Dude, he, he was super hip, man, and a really, really good player. Really understated. Like if you heard him play, I'll send you a couple of videos of him playing. It's not like you know, gonna turn your head around or anything, but real subtle and and understated real shy dude like didn't want any attention like he would turn down offers to join bands and stuff but he had a real gift for teaching and uh um, and yeah so anyway uh probably yeah probably something off alive at the regal would have been the first the closest i came to my right. first full transcribed solo i'm guessing all right uh number three what's the first thing you play when you pick up a guitar do you have somewhere your hands just go there automatically or like when you're trying out a guitar, do you have like a little pet thing that you do that, you know, lets you know if this guitar works for you or not, you know? You know, it's so funny because I, 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 I never thought about it before, but I usually almost always start out playing a chord or two. And for some reason, I don't know why, but I like this chord a lot. It's like, you know, I don't know, it's like a major seven add nine or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it is a major seven add nine, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'll always play, like, some stuff with open strings just to see if the thing's in tune. Uh, but this one, for some reason, 
I find myself like I, I don't know why my hand just goes there. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's another there's another one uh, that I just remember that I always play, which is a Roy Buchanan lick uh, off of the first uh, Roy Buchanan record. This is. <laughs> Oh, yes. That's a killer. Yeah. I always, for some reason, like I'll play some chords. Okay. I, you know, it's, it sounds nice and warm and stuff. And then you, you go down to the treble pickup and, and, and that's just that, that record, you know, I, I don't know for some reason that's like my go-to, like, let's see how the high end sounds on this. You know? Yeah. Well, um, man. I, I mean, there, there are probably, there are a ton of them, but uh, those two pop immediately into mind. Nice. Yeah, Roy was was big for me on on the treble side and and then just the bending side. He was just a huge influence on melodic bending. Like I'm, I'm, he's I still think he's criminally underrated. Like he was truly like one of the greatest of all time. Absolutely. It, totally underrated and uh man, I mean the 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 pinch harmonic thing, I mean the the, the tone that that nasal that 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 laser beam kind of telly thing and 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 the but the steel bands really really messed me up when I was a kid, man. That that uh, like I I didn't know what the hell that was, you know. And, and then I I consequently as a result of that I started getting into steel guitar, you know. I was just yeah. like Holy crap, you know. And then I discovered Buddy Emmons and stuff like that. But but Roy and and uh, the band that I was playing with with Andy Just, we opened for Roy one time oh, at cool. a place in California called OT Prices. And I remember we had to bring him a Marshall half stack to play through. And he, he played, he played so loud. It was unbelievable. God damn, he was great. I mean, yeah. it was like, it, it was really freaking loud. This was during the, when he was on alligator period. Yeah, it was, it was around uh, the time um, of that, uh, when a guitar plays the blues. When a guitar album, plays the blues, yeah. yeah. It would have been uh, late eighties, maybe 88, 89. Yeah, and uh, and when we opened for him, and of course I was just—I mean, I was in awe, man. I had him sign the the first two albums, you know, where he had his second album and and, yeah. and the first record. I had him sign him, and I mean, I was just in awe of the guy. He was very kind of like quiet and and dark. He was nice, but you know, you could tell he was a little bit of a kind of a troubled soul, you know. Yeah, um, that's what everybody and, says. But man, he went just—it was fucking on, man. Yeah. I was really lucky that I got to see him play. Did you ever see that's him play awesome. live? I never saw him play. No, I missed him. I missed Danny Gatton. And I mean, and these, these guys are huge yeah, influences on me and I, I never got to see him. Yeah. No. Did you, uh, I meant to ask you this cause I know you're, we were talking about Stevie. Did you ever get to see Stevie? I didn't get to see Stevie. I was 10 when he passed and I kind of turned down an opportunity. He was coming to town with Jeff Beck on one of his last tours and yeah, but I was nine years old, you know, and my dad said, do you want to go see Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jeff Beck? And I said, no, uh, but I didn't even know what I was saying no to really, you know, I, I, yeah. I just missed it. I really, yeah, that was a mistake on my I part. Saw, I saw that tour. They came to uh, Oakland and I went and saw that uh, and, and Jeff opened and he came out and did 45 minutes. And, and, and as much as I love Stevie, man, like after Jeff was done, I mean, Stevie came out and he was killing, man. Stevie, yeah. I, and and I'll tell you more about seeing Stevie in a second. But uh, that night, man, Jeff, he just he absolutely just floored everybody. And then nice. Stevie came out and Stevie was killing. 
But this is a funny story about that show. I remember uh, Carlos Santana came out and sat in. We all we all were hanging out thinking Jeff was going to come play with Stevie. So we were really like, you know, me and my buddies, we were like big Jeff Beck guys. And we were like, you know, oh, man, is he, is he going to hang out? Is he going to play? And Jeff had already left, apparently. But, but Carlos came out. And um, I probably shouldn't even tell this story, but I'm, I'm, you know, there were like 60,000 other people there. So um, I'm not the only one, but Stevie came out and picked up, or uh, Carlos came out and picked up one of Stevie's guitars with the 15s on it, you know, and he could not play that guitar, man. And I mean, and you know, he uses really light strings. Yeah. And it was like, I mean, he, he couldn't, he couldn't bend a note. And he finally, to his credit, he just laid back and he just went, go ahead. And he just sat there and played rhythm because he couldn't play Stevie's guitar, man. I mean, those wow. strings were so heavy and he walked out and like grabbed his strat and couldn't play it, man. It was a yeah. trip. Yeah. But I had a, a, a good friend of mine in San Jose who was a tour manager for the T-Birds and he got the gig with Stevie Ray Vaughan. And uh, so he called me and said, hey man, you know, Stevie Ray's playing, uh, at uh, Redwood Amphitheater, which was at an amusement park in the South Bay. And he said, do you want to come check it out? And I, I got to say, man, I was, I dubbed Stevie, but I didn't get it until that night. And I went to see him, man. And I sat like on the side of the stage and, and it was just the four of them with the, with, with Reese. And, and, and you know, I, I couldn't believe the power that was coming out of that. And I went home that night and I went, all right, man, I, I totally get it now. Cause he was another guy you know, at the time, the blues guys were hating on him. Oh, yeah. he said he was a rock guy because yeah. he played so many notes, you know? Yeah, oh, but talk guy. about somebody who loved the blues and, and respected the blues and knew his shit. That's why it drives me crazy yeah. when, when guys say he's not a blues player. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, come on. Yeah. I know. I always, I've always interpreted that as, as kind of a, a low-grade jealousy thing, you know what I mean? I mean, because these guys were like, Almost, you could almost hear in their voice, they'd be like, well, that should be me making all that money. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, yeah. It more than, you know, I mean, because, man, I mean, there's no, there was nobody more legit and nobody who did more for those cats than Stevie, you know? Absolutely. But boy, back, back then they were, they were talking shit and they were saying, oh, he's a rock guy. You know, he's a flashy guy. And, this and, that. Yeah. and of course now everybody, everybody, you know, he's revered. But uh, I remember at the time. Uh, you know, cause I was kind of more into like, you know, Robin and Kane and guys like that that were playing. And when I, I went and saw Stevie that night, man, it, it messed me up. I got to say, and, and I got to meet him, which was super cool. Uh, I got to meet him twice and, and shook his hand and it was like, you know, a vice grip and his hands were so strong and he was just the sweetest. He was as sweet as you've, you know, he was, as you, as you've heard everybody yeah. say, and I know you're friends with Chris and all those guys, but. I mean, he really was that dude, man, and, and uh, I, I was really lucky to get to see him play and to get to meet him twice. That's awesome. And uh, I, I became a fan, a huge fan, after seeing him that night at the Redwood Amphitheater. And, and I saw him again at the Concord Pavilion, and he brought out Larry Davis, who wrote uh, Texas, yeah, Texas Flood. Flood. Yeah. And Larry came out and sang with him, and, uh, and I, I uh, met his fiance. Uh, Stevie's fiance that night, the the French yeah. girl, and yeah, Jan, and he was from New Zealand. Yeah, right, right. Oh, oh, is that what she, okay? Yeah. Um, but he, you know, he, uh, I, I met her briefly that night, but again, my buddy was a tour manager, so he got me in, and then he was gone shortly after that. But I mean, I was just so so grateful to uh, to get to see him play, and finally, 
it dawned on me, you know, I went, all right, now I fucking get it. And I became like a huge fan. But at the time I was just, uh, I was kind of into other stuff. And, and, uh, and, and when I first heard Stevie, it was like, there's Albert King and there's Hendrix. You know, when I first heard Texas Flood, it sounded like some Hendrix outtakes or something, you know, but man, around the time of like in step and stuff, all of a sudden, like everything kind of lined up for me. And I went, yeah, yeah. All right. Nice. I, I totally get it now. That's awesome. Yeah. Man. All right. Number four, what, Key, style, song, groove. Uh, do you hear what in your head just all day long as you're, you know, noodling around, driving the car, cooking dinner? Do you have like just a groove that plays? Mine is a shuffle, always a shuffle. Uh, normally in B flat. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you just you just answered for me. Uh, shuffle, uh, definitely B flat. I, I seem to be a fan of the black keys. You know, I seem to be a fan of like B flat, C sharp. I love. Yeah. I love F. I love sharp. Uh, I like kind of, I like the the keys that sax players hate sometimes. You know when right. you're on a gig. They were gonna, and not C sharp where you're tuned down a half step playing a D, but like I actually like playing C sharp. You know. Me too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it is. Um, there was a Dixie Dreg song. There was a Dreg song called Rock and Roll Park. I don't know. If, uh, and that was it. That was like the first song I learned in C sharp. And uh, I, I love that key, but I'm with you, man. Shuffle all day long, like that's that's sort of the 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 heartbeat, I think, of of all the music that I love. Um, and and I, I'm with you. I love B flat. Um, I also I have to say that I, I really really love a good second line. Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a second line, man. And then and. and if I'm if I'm sitting around just kind of noodling and trying to play funky, I was in my head. I'm hearing like Johnny Vidakovich on drums or something. Yeah, playing like yeah. A, you know. there's just something about any kind of syncopated groove like that. You know, it's it's there's for me as an improviser besides a shuffle, that's my second favorite thing to improvise over. Is some something like that yeah. that's that's syncopated and moving around. You know, it's just yep. you've got all these nooks and crannies to kind of get in and out of. You know. Yeah, and you can just really sink your teeth into it, man. And you don't have to play a lot. No. You know, you can just play like, you know, like, like Leo Nassantelli, man, just that real simple double stop stuff. Yeah. And it just, it just works when, when the groove is happening like that. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think my, my runner-up would definitely be a second line. All right. Um, nice. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. The B-flat shuffle all day long. <laughs> all day long, all day long. All day long. Oh. All right, number five. When did you feel like you started to find your voice on the instrument? Was there a moment where something happened and you, you felt like, oh, I should go further down this path? This feels right to me. Well, I, I have to say that um, I, I don't know that I have found my own voice. Um, I, I, I feel like I feel like the, the way I play is sort of an amalgamation of like all this different stuff that I like. And, and I go through phases where sometimes I think, you know, I'm hitting on something and then, uh, and then I go, nah, that just sounds like, you know, it sounds like Albert Kane or whatever, you know? Um, so I don't know that I've had that, that revelation yet where I feel like, oh man, that, that, you know, that's not like me. Um, although I, I can, I, I've become really good at sort of, um, fitting into lots of different musical situations and then I can, you know, kind of sound like myself like if i'm doing like like a pop gig and i get a solo and i play like some bluesy stuff in it you know 
I feel like, well, that's a little unique as opposed to just, you know, playing the, the what would normally be there or vice versa, you know, on a blues gig, playing like some rock stuff. Uh, but I, I don't know that I have my own voice, man. And, and um, I, that's, I guess that's sort of like the, the golden ring for me would be, uh, you know, I mean, some of the guys we've talked about tonight, you know, like Stevie and even Carlos, and you hear one or two notes and you go, there he is. That's Carlos. One or two, know, yeah, one King, or two notes. Yeah. Albert. Yeah. And, and that's, to me, that's like the hardest thing in the world. I, I don't think I'm even near there yet. Um, oh man, you, you've got your own voice on the instrument and it is, it's a, it's a mix of all your experience and your influences, but you know, I know when I hear you play, you know, what you sound oh, thank like. You. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate that, man. And, and coming from you, cause I'm, I'm a huge fan of yours and, 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 and I, I feel like we, we kind of are coming from the same place where we love a lot of music and we yes. just play what we love and we don't really pay attention to like categories and stuff. I don't mm-hmm. mean to. I don't mean to dodge the question. Um, I just, I can't really think of a moment where I went, oh man, that sounds like me. But there are times like on a session maybe or on a gig where I'll play something and I'll go like, okay, I feel like that was really unique Yeah. for the, the context, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I've, I've had moments like that um, quite a bit, like, like on the, uh, on the Righteous Brothers gig, um, Bill Medley does a blues thing in the show. And Bill, by the way, uh, you know, huge blues nut. I mean, just just way into it. And we do a blues thing in there, and and it was really fun for me to like, kind of do my thing in, in the context of a Righteous Brothers concert and a blues song going on in that concert. And and there were some times uh, doing that solo with Bill where I felt like, oh, okay. And and I wasn't even on this guitar; I was playing a Strat, you know, which is not my uh, not my most comfortable guitar to play but there were some times there where i felt like okay well i i probably walked away from there feeling like uh that was unique you know and and that's that's probably about the coolest thing i could hope for is to like play something that maybe isn't expected or isn't the the norm mm-hmm. in a given situation all right all right good answer good answer number six what do you think is your biggest weakness on the instrument Woo, there's so many. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, there's so many things. I, I would say, I know after we hang up, I'm going to think, oh, I should have said this. Um, Travis picking. Yeah. That's pretty specific, I know, but I have always been a huge fan of Chad Atkins, Merle Travis, that kind of like with the thumb pick, the alternating bass thing, you know. Uh, I, I mean, I just... I listened to Chet. I mean, my guitar teacher turned me on to Chet and I listened to that stuff and it's like a one man symphony, you know, and it's so beautiful. It's not like aggressive. It's, it's just gentle and classy. And there's one note out of place. And I've always told myself that I, I was going to sit down and really learn how to Travis pick. Now I can, I can kind of get through it and I've done gigs with it. I've done sessions with it where I can do enough that, that people think I know what I'm doing, but I've always meant, one day to sit down and really spend some time. In fact, that was the thing I told myself I was going to do when, when the Rona hit, <laughs> I was going right. to sit down and learn how to Travis pick properly, you know? Um, but uh, that's something that I've always wanted to do that and classical guitar, like proper classical guitar mm-hmm. instead of just, you know, hybrid, you know, bullshit, like imitating Steve Howe kind of classical right. guitar. Like I wanted, I, I've always wanted to, to study properly, you know, the, the right hand technique 
and, and learn how to do that. And I still feel like one day I'm going to do both of those things. Um, but yeah, de definitely Travis picking and classical guitar are two things. And I heard you talking about this uh, with blues. I'm actually really comfortable on acoustic guitar and like arpeggios and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. very typically the, the Travis thing just is, is vexing me. And, and uh, there are guys that are incredible at it. Oh, that's, and, that would be a weakness for me too, Travis picking, you know, uh, and it's funny, I hybrid pick so much, but the, the, the alternating bass line thing, it's not something I've ever spent a ton of time on, you know, and yeah, I've yeah, listened yeah. to Chet Atkins my whole freaking life, but it wasn't something yeah. I ever just sat down and forced myself to do. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I haven't, I've spent some time with it just to shed for gigs and stuff, but I haven't really sat down and, and gotten it under my hands to where I could just do it subconsciously, you know? And, and uh, um, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's just something that I love and it's some of my favorite, some of my favorite guitar is, is music that I've heard is, is Chet playing solo guitar. Mm. You know, those early RCA records, man. I just, I, I swear I hear that stuff and I just get goosebumps and I just go, God, I got to learn how to do that. And one of these days, I swear I'm going to buy a, a, a Tennessean or a country gentleman or something. <laughs> and, I'm, you know, I'm going to spend a year and just, you know, I should have done it. I, I could I could have been seven months into it by now. But you could have um, been in it. <laughs> I know. And, and that was the plan. I'm telling you, it was. <laughs> and then classical guitar, too. I always early on, uh, uh, I, I wanted to study classical and learn how to properly play because that's another style that I just love. And I listen to and it just kind of baffles me, you know, and I can play a little bit but uh, not at all near the level that I want to be. So, you know, one day. Nice, nice. All right, well, number seven is, who's a big influence on your playing that people would be surprised to hear? Mm, boy. Oh, there's so many. Gosh. Um, but a real, like, out of left field one. Uh, Johnny Moore. Okay. All right. Are you hitting Johnny Moore? Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that stuff that he did with Charles Brown and like the three blazers and stuff. Yeah. That's like I was earlier about the palate cleansers. That's one of those things that I go to like if I have a blues gig and I'm kind of shedding for it or something. Uh you know, in addition to listening to Albert and BD and Freddie and stuff like that. Johnny Moore to me it's just this smooth and melodic one of the one of the players that my teacher turned me on to early on was charlie christian he loaned, mm -hmm. he gave me a copy of Spotlight, that that charlie christian album the double yeah. album and i fell in love with that kind of melodic like not one outside note just you know every note is is inside and and melodic and everything and johnny i don't know man there's something about that his tone and and it's just so so slippery and just just uh very bluesy, but it's also kind of got one foot in the jazz world. And, and there's no um, notes out of place. It's so like in in place. It's just yeah. yeah, yeah. It just I just love and he's another guy. I listen to him and I go, oh man, I don't have to be playing all this stuff, you know. Yeah. And, and it's just and the note selection is just mind blowing to me. Um, yep. It might not be that far left field, I guess, from what we've been talking about, but um, uh, he's he's a guy that that not too many people talk about that I really, I really listen to a lot. I love, and every once in a while I'll just sit down and cop a few licks and, and then that will sort of, you know, keep me going. And, uh, and, but I mean, I can, I can go down the list. I mean, uh, 
if you want to go left field from there, Brian May is a huge guy. For oh me. yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I don't, I don't really play like that at all, but, uh, just, I, I feel like he's just one of the unsung rock guitar geniuses. He should be on Mount Rushmore for me, man. I mean, just the guitar orchestrations alone. Uh, it just, I don't know if you ever heard, you know, like, like on the night at the opera, there's, there's this tune called good company where he does like a Dixieland band with all guitars. Yeah. And, uh, like that stuff, I hear that stuff and I swear, man, it's, he's just, it's one of a kind. His totally tone is completely one of a kind. And the other thing that, that really influenced me about Brian, cause I was a huge fan. I got to see queen. This is one of the advantages of being an old guy. <laughs> I got to see queen with Freddie. And wow. uh, I saw two nights in Oakland when uh, at, when they played, and this is an interesting story. The Blasters opened the show, wow, and got booed off stage. I could kind of see that actually. Not the same audience. I loved them. I went out and bought their records, and I, I, I oh, I love them too. But that's a weird audience. That's a weird bill. Uh, it was a weird bill, and and people didn't know. I was reading. Uh, I was just recently reading about that tour, and they said that Brian May would go out on stage and basically scold the audience and say, "Look, you guys, these are our friends. We want you to check them out. Like, be polite," because people were booing them. But I saw them uh, two nights in a row in Oakland, and Brian, I, I swear, man, it's just and and the the thing that has really influenced me. Um, when it comes to recording is how he did all that stuff with a little tiny amp about this big. Yeah. And he, he was one of the first people that kind of turned me on to the idea of recording with small amps. And I used to listen to those Queen records and I would think, you know, he's got a walk, you know, like inside this album jazz, you open it up and there's like just a, a bunch of box amps all over the place, but it yeah, turns tons out tons and tons of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's got a wall of them on stage, but it turns out he's only using three of them. Yeah. And, um, because I know people who like have worked the stage when they play, and they go, "Yeah, so there's three of them, and they're they're each mic'd up, and then there's a wall of kind of dummy amps." Um, but most of those records were recorded with this little teeny tiny amp, and uh, and and I've learned a lot about that when when I'm doing when I'm recording at home and stuff, as far as like layering guitars and stuff, man. Like recording with a small amp, that was a thing that I, I definitely learned from Brian May. Mm-hmm. So he, yeah, he. Not only do I just love everything he plays and I love, I love the music and, and, uh, but I also love that it was just completely his voice and totally every, you know, built his own guitar that the amp was, was built by their bass player out of like, you yeah, know, D- like Deacon, Hart, the, Hart. the Deaky. Yeah. The Deaky. I've got, I've got a little replica of one over here. One of the yeah. Vox ones they put. And, uh, yeah. I, I just absolutely one of a kind genius, uh, rock guitar. So, so there's two. <laughs> nice, man. All right. Would you rather have a good guitar and a terrible amp or vice versa? A great amp and right. a shitty guitar. Now, I heard you I heard you uh, talk about this with Blues and also with Oz Noy this morning. Everybody's and, been split. It's been 50-50. And I thought I thought you said that most people were going the other way with the guitar. No, no? it's 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 gotten to be about split now. I think I've done 20 okay. and it's been split, but I, I'm always amp. I'll go with the amp. Well, but where are you? Right. I heard you say that. I, I think I could make a case for both. Uh, but I think if I have to pick one and I hate to, uh, I, I hate to, to go the other way, but I think I would go with, with, uh, I'd rather have this guitar mm-hmm. 
and play through a shitty amp. And the reason, because I thought about this uh, question because I thought you might ask it. Uh, early on when I was touring with Pat Ford, and I was like 19, 20, no, I was about 21, I guess, when we, we did our first tour, we went to England. Right. And I, you know, I didn't know shit. I didn't know anything about, about touring. I didn't know anything about the road. And I just assumed, uh, at the time, I was using um, a Mesa Boogie Mark III. I've got, I still have the head here. That was, that was my amp. So I, I didn't need any pedals. There, pedals weren't even a big deal then, anyway. I had channel switching. I had way more gain than I would need. So I just went, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to ask for a Mark III every night that we play in England, right? And they'll just have one for me. It would be magic, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got out on the road with this guitar, no pedals, and, man, every single night was just an absolute shit show of amps. I, I, the only Mesa Boogie I saw the entire tour was a 22 caliber, and we were playing freaking loud, man. Yeah. And that amp, it, it just was – and so – I had to force myself on that tour to, you know, I'm like, all right, we're playing to like, you know, festival crowds and stuff. I'm like, I can't fuck this up. So I've got to figure out a way to make this work with this guitar, you know, and, and it was hell. I mean, it was long nights for me and it was, it was one of the biggest learning experiences ever. But I also think that it, it um, instilled in me the, the, the notion that if I, if I have this guitar that I love and I feel connected with, anything else can happen really. And, and, uh, I, I guess I'm just more connected with this than I am with electronics really. Of course, these days, you know, I take pedals everywhere like we all do and we just, yeah. but you know, even on the road with the righteous brothers, you know, getting fender amps, you get twins and deluxes and that's a crap shoot every night. Every so night. every night, you know, so I, I'm, I'm, if I'm happy with the guitar and you know, I'll bring an overdrive pedal or, a tremolo pedal or something that I like, I, I can, I can get through a bad amp, but for, for me, if I had like a, a, you know, a Squire strap with like eights on it and low action, man, that would be, that would be hell for me. I'd much rather have a guitar that I'm connected to and take my chances with the amp. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I'm, but I, I am I, the I, opposite, I, but I, I agree. I, I do too, dude. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I totally get it. I mean, ideally, you know, we should have both, but, um, right. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I, in an ideal world. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In, in an ideal world, uh, we should have both. And, and I, I could make a case for, uh, the other side of it too. I totally get where you're coming from on that. But I think if I was being honest with myself and with you, I would, I would say, man, if I have, if I have this guitar, I can plug into anything and at least be comfortable here. Yeah, and if the amp sucks, you know, I mean, it's like, well, I'll do the best I can with it, but at least I feel like, like, you know, I'm, I'm connected to this. By the way, what year and where did you get that guitar? What year did you buy it and where? Okay, this guitar is uh, this is an '85. I just right. I figured it, it was around there somewhere. Yeah. 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 Um, I bought it. I bought it brand new. Uh, in well, you did buy it brand new. Okay. I bought it brand new at uh, Geld Music in Redwood City, which is still there, by the way. Um, and uh, it was, okay, so when I joined Andy Just Band, I had that, that Angus Young SG that I showed you, which I, I could barely keep in tune. It was, it, it, you know, it was a decent guitar for playing keg parties, doing mm. fusion stuff, but for playing real gigs, I couldn't really keep it in tune and stuff. And at the time, I was in love with Rob, and I was in love with Larry, Lee Rittenauer, Chris Kane, Lyle Workman, all the cats that I 
really dug that were speaking to me were playing at 335. So Andy just was friends with the guy at Gelb, and we went in there to get me a guitar. I didn't have any money. And um, so I immediately spotted this one, and I played it, and I just, you know, spoke to me immediately. As soon as I played a note, it just spoke to me. And, um, and then he said, well, that one's expensive. You know, put that back. Let's look at some other ones. And I was playing all the other ones. I'm like, well, it's not as good as that one, you know. So, um, and this was in, uh, this was in about 87 or maybe 88 or probably 87. And at the time, these guitars were not hip at all. Everybody had a solid body guitar with a Floyd on it, yeah. single pickup. Everybody was trying to be Eddie, you know? Yeah, of course. And so nobody was, it, it, the 335 was a decidedly unhip instrument at the time. So I got this guitar brand new for $700. And they, and I didn't have the money, so they let me pay half up front and then half a month later. And that was how I got this guitar. And I had buddies of mine who said, man, don't ever buy a brand new guitar off the rack. You know, get a used one and this and that. I've never one day in my life regretted getting this guitar. And as you can see, it kind of looks like a 59 anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, been uh, – You played it a lot. <laughs> oh, dude, it's been – this thing right here, this plate, this kind of plate around the jack, that happened in Norway – when I was playing there with uh, the Ford Blues Band and some drunk Norwegian Viking guy like fell over and caught the uh, the the end of the, the cable and pulled it into the wood. And um, so we were going to refinish it, and I ended up just putting like a big thing over it and keeping it. But anyway, this guitar has been with me since then. I mean, it, it's it's been a long time that I've had this guitar. And I have a ton of other guitars, but this is this is the one. This is my oh, yeah. baby. That's but yeah, nice. it's a... Uh, 59 reissue.net, uh, totally still, I've had it refretted, you know, probably 15 times or something. I mean, a lot. Yeah. And I'm, the only other thing that I replaced was, uh, I put a new bridge on with, uh, plastic saddles because I was breaking E strings. It came with steel saddles, metal saddles, and I was breaking E strings every night. So I put this on there and uh, everything else is stock except for the frets. And I just, every single day, this guitar feels better to me, you know? Nice, man. I'm with you. You know, I'm the kind of guy that plays the same guitar for a long time. So it's, you know, yeah, I always see you with, that's your go-to, right? The, the black, uh, the yeah, black it's about color. 15 years with this one. Yeah. 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 That guitar sounds real. Dude. It's a good one, man. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, you're connected but, to that. But like Kirk, yeah. Kirk, Kirk will have a different guitar the next day. You know, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. It, it, it sounds, un, every one of them sounds unbelievable. Oh, he and, sounds like himself on anything he plays. Dude, like Eric Gales, I just produced his new record. We could put any guitar in his hand. Les Paul, 335. Strat, it sounds like his Strat upside. It, it, he sounds like Eric Gales on any any guitar. It didn't matter what we put in his hands. I can, uh, dude, that guy is so unbelievable. I can't wait to hear that record you guys made, man. I'm it's, so excited about it. It's very good, and I'm I'm proud of it. I'm excited for people to hear it. Oh, yeah, what a, what a monster. And yeah, you're right. He's, uh, I've seen him, I've seen videos of him just sitting in on somebody else's rig and it, it just, yeah. oh, there he is. That's yep. it. You know? Yep. All right. Number nine, what keeps you uh, motivated, man, and pushing to learn new stuff? You said, you know, the, the vir coronavirus got you motivated to learn new stuff, but, but what keeps like the flame burning? Is, is it just that you love it so much? Or, or, you know, what is it that keeps you going? It, it's, it is that. It's pretty much that. I, I really do love it. I, I swear I feel like I'm 15 still. And yeah. um, 
I'm still excited. Every time I'll uh, discover a new player or a new record that I love or see a video of somebody like you or, or Eric or somebody, Kirk, you know, and, and I, you know, like that keeps me going because I just go, man, there's, there's so much. There's, there's so, you never reach it, you know? Never. You never, no, you never it's, it's a never ending journey. It, but that's what's so it, great. Yeah. It, it is. It's, it is. Totally and, and uh, you know, it's like you open one door and there's five doors behind it, you know? And, and um, I, I think for me, it's, I'm just constantly, um, I'm either discovering like a new player or, or somebody that I've never heard, or maybe uh, a record from somebody like, you know, like I just recently discovered a West Montgomery record that I had never heard before. Wow. And it was like here, first time all over again. And I was just yep. like, yeah. you know, holy crap, I got to sit down and, and learn some of this. And, uh, but again, I'm so all over the place with music that I, I find myself just it never gets boring for me because I'm listening to so much different stuff and uh so I and and of course in my head I know how I want it to sound and I know how how much better I want to be in certain things um but it's never it never feels like work man it's always just I can't wait to tomorrow to start working on this thing or, or to you know uh to to learn a a, a new technique or or man I love you know uh like that uh, Mateo guy with the, the finger, the, the finger style guy. I forget his last name. Oh yeah. Mateo Mancuso. Um, yeah. Mancuso. That, yeah. Mateo Mancuso. I mean, geez, I watched that guy play Cherokee and I'm yeah. just like, okay, man, there's so much shit I got to do. You know, that technique is just like, what the heck? Like, how do you, yeah. yeah. I mean, as long as there's stuff like that around that you've never heard of, and it, it was like that back in the day too, except that we didn't have YouTube, you know, there'd be, yep. you go to Norway and there'd be some guy in a fishing village somewhere, you know, who, who, who could play like Pat Martino, you know? And, uh, yeah. I remember, uh, after a gig one night, like, uh, somebody took us to a house party with the Ford blues band and, and there was an organ trio playing in this living room. And I swear to God, it was like some of the most unbelievable stuff I ever heard. Never heard of any of these guys. They're just guys that, that live in town and just love jazz and they would, they would just throw down in the living room and, and I never yeah. heard of them or from them again. Yeah. And uh, so as long as there's, there, there's new stuff like that for me, I just, uh, the fire gets lit like almost on a daily basis. And I really, very rarely will I take a day or two off. And, and if I do, man, I, I, I read somewhere, I think that Jeff Beck's in here who put the guitar down like for months and then pick it up again. I, I could never do that, you know, but nope even a day or two off sometimes where I just don't play. And then I come back to it. And it's like, I'm starting over again. You know, the technique kind of goes down, but um, it, it, it's, it's just always exciting for me. And I, I still feel like, like a kid taking guitar lessons every day. You know? Yep. It's amazing how you can learn something and get that, you know, there's, there's other things that you can get yourself involved into. And when you realize you've yeah. learned something and you're just scratching the surface, you can get frustrated. And this is not the way with oh. this thing. It's like, I, I just want to keep going and I hope that it never runs out so that I can keep going mm -hmm. and get something new every day. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. And, and when you're, when you're listening to different styles of music, like we are, man, there's always like new sources of inspiration. It's not always. like we're into blues or only listening to rock or jazz or whatever it's like you know I, I just I'll be you know I went through a huge Peter Green thing recently after he passed you know mm -hmm. and I was, I was just so into that you know for the last couple of months I mean I'm always into Peter Green but I mean I just all of a sudden I was like oh god I gotta listen to all those records again and, and listening to live stuff on on YouTube that I had never heard and, and 
I've heard Peter Green a zillion times and there was stuff and I'm like, God, I got to learn that. How did he get into the four from there, you know, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And then, uh, and then bam, out of the blue, out of, out of left field, I'm like into Richie Blackmore, you know, <laughs> like I'm listening to, like, you know, you know, uh, should have been a Leo and I'm just going, Oh my God, the tone, the feel of my brother. So it's, it's just, it's never ending. And I feel like, uh, there's, there's so much more stuff to discover. You know, I just, yep. I get easily distracted, you know? Yep. Well, in a good way though. Oh, in a good way. It's all good. That's the thing is sometimes I'll go, man, I need discipline. I need, and I'm like, well, what the hell am I doing? I mean, why can't I listen to Deep Purple for a couple of days and then get back to, to listening to Peter Green? You know what I mean? It's yep, like, yep. And, and then, you know, yeah, maybe I'll put on this Tom Waits record because I haven't heard it in a couple of years and listen to Mark Rabot, you know, or something. Uh, you know, that's what I love about it is just you can always find something inspirational. And uh, I, I never have a problem uh, being inspired and, and wanting to get better because that's all I, that's all I want to do all the time. Well then, okay. So then that leads us to our last question. Besides Travis picking, where do you want to be in five years? Like, what do you? Is it just keep on keeping on, or is it you know it, it, you have you have a goal in mind? Well, um, I would say definitely keep on keeping on. I feel like uh, I, I'm I'm just so fortunate to be able to do nothing but this. I know you feel the same way, and I know like we've both been through lean times and, 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 mm-hmm. and great times, you know, and, and, you know, my, my dad used to say that the, uh, the worst day fishing is better than the best day working. Mm-hmm. So at its worst doing this all the time is pretty damn good, you know, and, and it's What's better than any job I hope to get. And, and I got to tell you, man, like in, during this, uh, this pandemic thing, I got friends of mine who are like accomplished, successful musicians who are getting day gigs, you know, they're just like, I'm done, you know, I'm out. Yeah. I'm, uh, there's going to be no music scene for me. I'm, I'm going to work for Amazon or something. And, and I feel really grateful uh, that I'm, I'm able to keep playing. Uh, and, and, and like I heard you say uh, with Oz earlier today, you know, like if I can just play enough to, to pay the bills and, and keep it going, man, I'm happy with that. But uh, I do have a specific goal. Uh, and, and you've been very inspirational in this, by the way. Uh, I want to do a record. I've never done a record. And so one of the reasons I got sidetracked uh, on this Corona thing, like from doing the, the, the Travis picking, which was my initial you know, goal, like, oh, okay, I'm Travis pick, is I decided I'm going to finally start trying to write a tune. Oh, wow. All and, right. Yeah. I mean, I've never, all my time has been spent playing guitar playing other people's tunes. I love contributing. I write with other people, but I never sat down by myself and try, I've come up with a million, what I think are cool ideas and I record them and then I never finish them. And I've been, I wanted to ask you about this too, about your writing process, but I decided during the lockdown that I said, okay, I'm going to pick out a few of my favorite ideas and try and finish them at least in demo form mm-hmm. so that I could get together with cats and play. And then eventually I would like to do, a record because it's, it's at this point, it's almost embarrassing to not have an album out. And, and I, uh, I, I attribute most of that to uh, extreme insecurity on my part, because like, I, I feel like I'm learning how to play the banjo or something. It's like something new to me, learning how to write a tune. And I don't want to do an album of just guitar solos. I, I would want it to be an album of songs, stuff that I've written that, uh, that isn't necessarily just, guitar you know but like music 
because I'm also a huge fan of, of great songs, you know? And so when you're listening to, you know, when you're listening to Brian Wilson or the Beatles or XTC or, or, you know, people that I consider to be, you know, great songwriters, like, you know, there's nothing I can come up with that interests me like that, you know? So I almost don't even want to try. And I had a conversation with Drew Zing about this before he did his, his solo album. And yeah. we were, but we both sat all night one night talking about how, you know, sometimes the anticipation is often better than the payoff, you know, where you go, Oh man, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Like, yes. I hear this, I hear, I hear this rhythm section. The vibe is this, the guitar sounds like this. And then you get in and start doing it and it doesn't come out like that. And I'm just going like, Oh my God, I don't want to, I don't want to put this up. So I've been afraid to do it. And Drew, after that conversation, God damn him if he didn't go out and put out the most incredible record of, you know, his own stuff yep. with like one cover on it. So that was very inspirational. And like the stuff that you're doing, man, uh, you know, like when I hear that, I just go, God, man, I got to do at least one record. You, you know, got to do it, go, man. Okay. Well, you've put it I out know. there to the world now. So now you got to do it. You got to make this record. No, this is that. But anyway, that that's a long way of answering your question. That is my goal. In, in five years, I would love to have at least one record of stuff that I wrote uh, that I feel represents me as a player. But then you get into, okay, is it going to be a blues record? Is it going to be a rock record? That's <laughs> no, never no, it's going to be a John Wiedemeyer record. Come on. Get it out there. Well, the good, the good news is these days you don't have to worry about a label going, oh, no, we need like 12 no. blues tracks. Or no. You can put out a, a hodgepodge of different styles and nobody's going to give a shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Dude. And people like us will do. Well, that makes so. me excited to know that that's coming, because that'll be great. I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to it already. Well, hey man, maybe I'll do it in your studio. You know, once I once I get some tunes together. Well, it's I'm always here. <laughs> I love man, I love what you're doing in there, and I mean everything that I've heard that's come out of there just sounds unbelievable. All the instruments. Well, dude, I'd be honored to help you with it, man. I w I would be honored to help you. Well, you know, I mean, that's uh, the, the, the goal right now is to try and write some tunes and, and come up with maybe a dozen tunes that, that I'm proud of and, and that hopefully kind of represent uh, at least a, a, a little bit of a cross-section of stuff that I love. I, I would, right. Obviously, there'd be some blues on there, but I'd want to do some, some rock stuff, maybe maybe some, some chicken-picking stuff, yeah. you know, maybe a travel tune, who knows? But, you never know. Um, <laughs> But I, I think my, uh, my, my goal is, I, and, and at this point, man, in my life, after losing, you know, just about everybody that was close to me, you know, it's, it's a legacy thing, you know? It's like, like, what if, like, I'm driving home from, the, from this gig I did tonight, and, and if, what if I got T-boned by a semi on the freeway, and, 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 and all there is is YouTube videos, you know? It's like, I want to have something that I can be proud of after I'm gone, and somebody can go, yeah, hey, this is what you sound like, you know? Well... I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, uh, I'll definitely keep you posted. I just gotta, just gotta get those tunes together, man. I mean, and and I, I already kind of know who I'd want to play on it. And, and, nice, man. Um, nice. But you've been, you've been very inspirational in that, man. Because thanks, man. I love what you're doing, stuff that you're putting out, and, and I mean, it's just always every time I hear you, I go, God damn, man, why can't I do that? You know? Oh, come on, man. Come on. That's nice of you to say. No, you know what I mean, though. I feel I'm that way when I listen to, to everybody, you know, it's so, uh, but it's yeah. such a, that's, that's the kick in the butt you need. You know, I love it. I love that feeling of, holy shit. Why I got to do that. You know, I love that feeling. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's just for me, it's like like I said, it's like learning a new axe. It's like I pick up a banjo and mm-hmm. I'm learning how to play. And you know, trying to write a tune for me is is from another planet because I've always spent time just playing guitar and playing other people's tunes. But uh, I really want to get to the point where I can, you know, put some tunes together that I'm proud of that also have guitar in it, but aren't necessarily, you know what I mean? Like when you when you listen yeah. to Mm. Like a Jeff Beck record, it, it's you know you listen to like Blow by Blow and it's got great guitar, but it's also cool tunes yeah. and melodies and stuff that you sing and and you know like the like you know the stuff you're putting out too, man. It's like it's it's got vibe. It's it's great tunes. It's interesting, you know, and and, and it's loaded with killer guitar and amazing tone. And uh, so that's that's my goal. Awesome. Um, I, I really that's that's the thing that I want to do more than anything at this point. All right. Awesome, man. Well, that's a good goal. All right, so we made it to the end of the 10 questions. So members, if you hang on, there's uh, going to be an extra little video for you. And if you're not a member yet, hit the join button or at least subscribe. Come on. Uh, but, John, dude, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to do this. I love your play, man, and it's so great to you know get to hang a little more even virtually. And I hope when uh, you know the world gets back to normal, we can do some some real hanging and playing. Man, I know we have never. I remember uh, you you came to Vegas and we were out. You know, we went out to eat and stuff, and and, yep. and we, there was nothing going on. There were no blue, and we wanted to go play. And, and man, I'd love to sit down and, and play sometime and pick your brain and, and just just jam a little bit. And, Likewise, uh, man. Likewise. And, and man, I'm like I say, I'm a huge fan. I'm 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 so honored that you asked me to do this, man, because I, you know all the the best cats, and uh, uh, so man, thank you for for asking me to do this. And uh, anytime, and man. I'm looking forward. That's hanging, man. Anytime. Sure. And, and there will be links to all things John Wiedemeyer in the description. So thank you, everybody, for watching. And members, we'll be right back.